0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Episode 5 of the Promptly Written Podcast. My name is Matt Shigarik, and I'm joined, as always, by Ian Lewis. What's up, Ian? What is up? Uh, If you're just joining us here for the first time, I'm going to give you just a quick rundown of what we do. Uh, Every month, we pick a writing prompt. We each write a story based on that prompt, and then we read them to you and talk about them. Uh, But before we get to that, we always like to take a little bit of time... Beginning of every show to discuss whatever's currently on our minds, maybe some current events in the writing world here. But you know, we've been known to go off the beaten path on occasion.
1: That's what that's what keeps it fun, right?
0: Absolutely. So, but I think I think we are mostly writing or reading related today. So, um, why don't we just jump into? It? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, um, on the last episode, I was talking about. Some uh, reading resolutions that I kind of created for myself uh, for this year. Um, I've been spending a lot of time writing, not enough time reading. So I wanted to kind of work that way back in as like something that I was focusing on doing. And I am proud to tell you that I have, well, I've really read one and a half books. I finished And I Will Lead the Revolt by the one and only Ian Lewis. Uh, But I had had that like half written. So that kind of was like an overlap from last year. Do you want to like summarize the the series of books? Tell people what it's about, or oh,
1: man. It, yeah, I'll try to give you a quick synopsis. It was a two a two a two book series. It was something that I never intended to write, um, like genre wise, and you know, it, it's not really anything that fit into the Ian Lewis universe, so to speak. But it was it sort of originated as a uh, inside joke amongst coworkers. And uh, long story short, I said, oh, I'll write a story about you know this sort of parallel universe that imagined you know this dystopian united states and we were all characters in the book and said oh, i'll write a book for fun and it the first book got kind of out of hand and turned it into something bigger <laughs> and i was like well there, there's more material here than one book but the flip side is again it, it wasn't something uh you know it, it, it was more accessible because it's more of like a generic thriller i guess so yeah for sure it, it was outside the scope of um and it even sort of strays into quasi-political, although I call it apolitical territory, but which is not my bag at all.
0: Yeah, it's there, and that was that was kind of new for me too. That's not something I normally seek. Yeah, out it's to not read. normally
1: my thing. But it was it just it kind of based on sort of the the background of the the book, it kind of segued easily. But um, at any rate, I was like, I didn't want to keep writing the series like any more than two books because it could have kept going forever. And and who knows maybe I'll get bored and go back and write another well, another book. But.
0: Well, I got to tell you that's my kind of stance on it. Like I read it and I'm I'm happy with how it ended. I think everybody should go like if if this is something that sounds like interesting to you at all, you should go check it out because it was a it was, both of the books were really fun reads. And then I think you should come back and start bugging Ian because I think we need a book three. Like I think I think there's room to go just a little bit further.
1: My yeah my interest were with my other books and so I, I i wanted to finish the series to give some type of closure um but yeah it basically imagines a the recession of 2008 kind of getting as bad as possible economic collapse um split of the government um you have two illegitimate governments one on each coast that kind of result from that and then you have six or seven characters who are sort of against that backdrop and they're sort of interpersonal struggles and um, it it was meant to be a sort of a commentary or allegory about the fail, failure of partisan politics, kind of kind of a thing. But again, I generally hate politics, and especially when art and politics mix. But yeah. it is kind of what it is, and a lot of people liked it from a historic perspective. Um, the people who read it. So if it, I would say it's style wise in the genre of like a Tom Clancy novel, where you have multiple story threads kind of weaving together, but it's it's not really Tom Clancy in the sense that it's not really a military or um, right. political story, in that sense, is just—it's just like here's the backdrop, and these are the people. It's very character-driven, I, I would say.
0: Oh, absolutely. And like, I gotta say, sometimes when you have like so many uh, characters the, and like so many different changes in perspective, um, I can get lost. Like, it doesn't like really do it for me because like I want to kind of stick with maybe like one or two usually. But you did a really good job of like making sure that like you didn't forget about anybody. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I tried to represent multiple perspectives, and no, it was really good. And um, it's called the split series. If you if you're interested, we'll, so
0: we'll put a link uh, down there to the Amazon page, so you guys can uh, just go ahead and buy it, and then start bugging him to write more. <laughs> but yeah, so I read that, and then I kind of decided that there's like a handful of like what would be considered classic books that I've never read, and I so I think it, while I'm doing this reading goal, I'm going to try to alternate between like some like a modern book. And like a classic book, so I already took the leap. I already finished another book, and, um you know i was i was I'm in a nonfiction seminar right now, and we had to read some of Hemingway's nonfiction and um i I got kind of fascinated just by the the guy, like who like just Hemingway himself, yeah, like, he was interesting. It was like almost like I'd never read any of his fiction, but like I was reading it uh, the the collection we read was it was called um." Let me look here. It was called a movable feast, and it was about his time that he spent in Paris. And I was just, like, reading about this freaking, like, pimp kind of dude just, like, walking around Paris. He was kind of a man's man. He's, he's hanging out with, like, all these famous authors like uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. And, and he's just, like, they're in, like, this little writer's club. And he's got this place that he rented specifically for writing. And he goes up there with, like, some food and some wine. And if, if you know, if the words come to him, he writes. And if not, then he just kind of drinks and walks around the city. And I was like, man, he's like <laughs> – it's like an author's dream. It's just like you know. I mean, my job is to just kind of walk around and write when, I, right, when yeah, something to, to comes. be able
1: to be independent in that sense would be fantastic,
0: right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to read some of this dude's fiction. So like, what do you, what do you, what do you go to? You go like to me. The what's, what's the first book that comes to mind when you think of Ernest Hemingway?
1: Yeah, I don't know because I, I, the only thing I recall reading from him um, are some of his vignettes, and that okay. was in high school. Okay, and I, I don't remember much of it. I just remember them being very outdoorsy.
0: So to me, it was like, I was like, it's the old man in the seat. Like, that's the one that's like... Yeah, I never read that. So, so I read it. And I was kind of hoping you read it. So maybe we can turn around back on this if, if you're interested in reading it. But like, I read this book, right? And I th- I'm pretty sure... Let me look it up real quick. So he won the Pulitzer Prize in 1953 for this book. And then in 54, he got the Nobel Prize in Literature which he dedicated to the Cuban people. So I'm like, okay, so this this book is probably like his most famous, arguably his most famous work of fiction. It won a Pulitzer and it won a Nobel Prize. Like this is the best book. Like this is the book, right? Right. So I read it and I was like, eh. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I was just like, uh, okay. So um, I'm not hating on Hemingway. Like the whole premise was just fine. Like, I don't want to blow it. And because here's why I don't want to blow it. It was blown for me. So I read like an introduction to the book and I think I read somewhere else. So like I knew what was going to happen before I even started reading it. And I think that might have ruined it a bit. I don't know. Tell me, like if anybody out there like really like understands like why this book is like it. Like I'd really like to know because I'm just kind of going back and forth. Like I think I like it, but I was not blown away by this book
1: yeah i'd have to i'd have to read it so, i mean, i just i recall his his style being very terse and uh brevity i think that's kind of what he's known for
0: what's crazy to me is like there's there's a lot of run on sentences there's a lot of like repeating words really? that's and, interesting. like the the dialogue's kind
1: of like you know how we were talking Because i always thought he was like i said like sort of like terse clipped sentences and that's interesting well it's like uh i read read a couple books by um oh man the name escapes he wrote like get shorty and uh the um out of sight and uh elmore leonard he's yep. supposed to be this great crime author and i read a couple of books by him and i'm like just not digging it no, it was beyond not just digging it it was like this guy he's legit not a good writer I, and i will say that He would <laughs> at least the books i read they, they may have been ghost written or something but like There was one page where he referred to the same character as the man. Like, if you haven't identified the character yet, I can see referring to him as the man. Yeah. But, like, in one paragraph, he referred to him as the man, like, five times. It's just like, we we know who this character is. Why do you keep referring to him as the man? It was, like, such sloppy, lazy writing. And, like, the characters were one-dimensional cardboard cutouts. It was just – they were terrible books. Well, and then, like, do you know when
0: those books were written by chance? Just, like – uh, within the last last two decades, I think. Oh, really? So they're modern. Because yeah, I was fair, say, relatively
1: recently. Like, I mean, he's dead now, but, you know.
0: Because, you know, I was thinking between Hemingway... I mean, Hemingway died in, I think, like, 61 or something like that. Yeah, I think he killed himself. He did. But, I mean, I think that probably the rules have changed since then. You know, like, everything evolves. Like, art evolves. Like, you know, what's... You know, language and everything. But, like, I just... I was not blown away. So if, if somebody... Can tell me why it should be blown away. I'd I'd love to appreciate or I'd love to hear it because um, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. So. Well,
1: sometimes it's like even like with music. Sometimes you you hear about you know an album that was like they say uh the Velvet Underground um, their first album. I can't remember the name of it. It it's a terrible album. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like I I don't get it. But like they say that everyone who listened to that album or bought that album went out and started their own band. Like it had. Huh. It may have not been good in the sense of what we would consider good today but it was influential in a sense so i think maybe a lot of these books had something in them that was noteworthy or original enough that it was inspirational and inspired other things but as a standalone piece of art per se it's like Maybe not the best,
0: but so yeah. I mean, if you would be interested, I don't know if you'd be interested in reading this. How or not. long is it? it? I mean, it's. I think it's like 120. It's like 120 pages. It's pretty oh, short. Yeah, it's pretty short. Um, I would love to know. Maybe we could talk about that on a on a future podcast if you if you get around to reading it because
1: perhaps. Yeah,
0: but no promises here. We're not we're not promising that. But I, I was, you know, thinking about this classic thing, and I kind of started coming up with a list of like classic books that I wouldn't read, and I want to. Just run it by you real quick and see if there's anything that you see, like, um, I'm missing. All right. And these are only the ones that I haven't read. Um, if I've read it, then it's not on my list. So I think the next one I'm going to do actually is The Catcher in the Rye. Have you ever read that? I have not, but um, someone keeps bugging me to read it. Okay, so maybe that would also be a, a good bonus podcast episode Then do The Catcher in Could the Rye. Um, I've never read The Great Gatsby. I,
1: you know what? We ran out of time in English class in high school, and uh, <laughs> so we watched the movie instead.
0: Oh, boy. Yikes. Yeah. All right. So, Lord of the Flies, I have never read. I have read that, but I was probably in junior high. It's been a long time. Okay. Fond memories or no? Uh,
1: it was kind of, it was very depressing.
0: That's what I've heard, but I know very little about it, and... um.
1: It's sort of like... Like,
0: that's kind of how I want to go into it based on my old man in the sea Yeah, you kind of watch,
1: like, the worst of humanity come out in a bunch of kids, basically. Yeah. Sounds
0: like it's right up my alley, actually, huh? Probably. All right. Sweet. Um, Grapes of Wrath? Never read it. Uh, I've never read The Diary of Anne Frank? Nope, me either. Um, And I've never read The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit.
1: I read... I think I read The Hobbit, if I recall. I don't remember it, though. So that's my list as of right now. Well, so I would add to your list maybe uh, Dracula. Read it. Read it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would,
0: I would highly recommend Dracula to anybody who's never read Dracula. I need to reread it, it.
1: I have I have a copy of it and I read it once. I need to reread it. It wasn't what I expected. No, it's so
0: good. And then, man, that that um, the Bela Lugosi movie is like one of my favorites.
1: I've never it's, seen it. Ooh, but ooh, I, I movie, co- movie night. Really? Yeah. I'll really? bring it over. Uh, all right. Yeah. Um, I have a couple, I think, quasi-classics on my shelf that I never got around to reading. What do you got? Um, I think I have The Time Machine. Never read it? I think it was H.G. HG Wells, maybe? Yeah, it sounds that. right to me. And then um, I might have something by Robert Louis Stevenson, Kidnapped,
0: maybe? You know what? I've never read... Um, What the hell was his big one? Treasure Island?
1: Treasure Island, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think I was in not Borders, but what's the other books? so Barnes & Noble. Yep. Like a decade ago. And they had like a, all these classics for like very little money on like mm-hmm. an, on an end cap. And I, I bought a couple of them and I yep. never got around to reading some of them, but.
0: All right. Well, maybe we'll try to get some of those in this year and we can. Maybe. We can talk about them because I'm on a mission. Like I set a, a goal for six books and like, we're still not sure if I'm counting your book. That's like a half a book. So I might just count, Old Man the Sea is number one because it was, like, in this year completely. Sure. But, um I don't know, one, and, like, it's just about, like, I, I feel like I got six easy. I think you can do it. All right, so I don't want to spend too much more time on this because my story ran a little long today, and so I want to kind of get through some of these other topics we got here. Uh, uh-huh. Real quick, did you see that Roald Dahl uh, is having these animated things coming to Netflix? I did not. Yeah, so it's... um Saw this link, I think, on uh, Nerdist or something like that, but it's they're doing like animated versions of these. Like, in, here's I'm just going to give you the quick 15 books that were announced. We got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, The BFG, The Twits, The BFG, uh, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, George's Marvelous Medicine, Boy, Tales of Childhood. That Wow, that could be a mess. Uh, going Solo, The Enormous Crocodile, The Giraffe, and The Pelly and Me, Henry Sugar. I'm getting bored already. Uh, Billy and the Minpins, The Magic Finger, SEO Trot, Dirty Beasts, and Rhyme Stew. You know what's missing here? James and the Giant Peach is not on this list.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. James and the Giant Peach. I remember that one. And probably.
0: that was one of my favorite books. Yeah, like that when was I was a good kid. One. It was like James and the Giant Peach, and then there was uh, Indian in the Cupboard. Did you ever read that?
1: Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah.
0: So, it kind of pisses me off that I don't see James and the Giant Peach on this. But um, just looking at the uh, the drawing here, like it looks like they're gonna try to do that that kind of animation, the the illustrative style that was okay. kind of cool in his book. So I think that might be cool. So something to look forward to. Um, the next thing I don't I did I didn't even like prep you with this one yet, but we've been talking like about world building on the past couple podcasts, and I came across this podcast called The Ezra Klein Show. And the only reason I came across the show is because there was um, a guest named Nora Jemison. So I didn't know who she was, but I'll give you a quick rundown just because I think it's kind of impressive. She won the Hugo Award for the best novel for three years in a row, and nobody's done that before. And she is the first author to have every book in a single series win the Hugo for the best novel. Hmm. And she was the first black author to win a Hugo for the best novel. And on the quote on the uh, the podcast description, it says, quote, she's a badass. But in this podcast, she kind of runs the host through a world building seminar. I thought that that was really interesting. I haven't done it yet because I usually listen to podcasts when I'm driving and I mm-hmm. kind of want to sit down and listen take and kind of like take notes. So I wanted to suggest, like we've been talking about reading and talking about books, but I was, I was going to suggest maybe we both listen to this before the next episode and we could kind of talk about it.
1: Yeah, send me a link.
0: Okay, yeah, I'll put the, the link will be in the show notes, and then um I'll I'll message it over to you. But oh, yeah. I think it's like an hour and twenty minutes ish or something like that. But um I think it might be cool because this is, I did, I don't have this in the outline, but this is kind of freaking me out. Uh, I finished my schedule for this whole MFA thing, and by the end of next February, I will have a first draft of a novel done. Yeah, nice. So can you tease a little bit about? What what it's going to be? It's one of two. So I don't want to like throw it out there yet. But when I make the decision and we start, yes, I will tease it because I think I might do some character building or try to do some character building through some of our short stories here. Try to get in their heads, stuff like that. Sure. Um, I'm kind of excited, but it's kind of like, um, it's kind of overwhelming me at the same time. And I'm I'm worried that it's going to mess with my process. What do you mean? Well, I like to handwrite things. (laughs) <laughs> oh
1: <laughs> yeah you like to be inefficient <laughs>
0: I, I like to well i like yeah, it, it, it keep i think it keeps me a little more focused i have a tendency to edit a lot when i'm typing like just straight typing like i'll go back and reread and edit a lot and then i'm not actually mm-hmm. writing yeah you I know get that. so the the pen and paper thing kind of keeps me just getting it all like get, just blurting it all out and then i go back and change it so I might have to figure out maybe like write a chapter, type a chapter and do something like that so that what I'm not like spending two weeks trying to transcribe it. Yeah. So we'll we'll figure out or maybe, you know, I bet you there's some sort of like OCR software where I could take a picture with my phone and like convert it to text and then just like paste it into Word. Probably, probably. Because I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but I have pretty immaculate handwriting so yeah, if you say so uh, I'll, I'll send you a picture of my handwriting it's it's not to be not to be fucked with all right. <laughs> all right uh, i'll take your word for it but um, in fact i'll throw that in the show notes too because you know why not but uh yeah i'm just kind of a little worried about that so yeah let's do that for the next episode and then we can kind of talk about it and see if we pulled anything that she um it's for sci-fi and fantasy authors so we'll see how sci-fi and fantasy she goes but i i think world building in general we should be able to pull at least a few tips and tricks out of there yeah for sure cool um i don't know if anybody out there is following me on twitter or the p written pod on twitter but i've been trying to tweet a little bit more lately and try to get more of a presence out there i found a couple of like writing communities just like you know you add hashtag writing community or hashtag am writing like m writing and um Like people just kind of talk. So um, I listen to a podcast called Script Notes, who's uh, hosted by John August and Craig Mazin. They're a couple of screenwriters. And John August is an amazing screenwriter. Um, He's done a lot for Tim Burton. But um, he goes on Twitter and he does these like writing sprints. And he'll be like, hey, top of the hour, 60 minutes writing sprints, just like go focus, no distractions, turn your phones off, you're writing for an hour, see, see what you can get done. And then he comes back and he's like, I've, I did 600 words or something. And I was like, you know, that's kind of cool. Because like, even if my Twitter is just, you know, not a whole lot of people follow me on Twitter. So it's just kind of me shouting into the ether, you know, <laughs> right. But, you know, a couple of people liked my tweet. And then even just by sending that tweet out and saying, I am going to write for 60 minutes straight. Like I did it, there was like a little bit of accountability. So the story that, the story that I'm going to read today was actually done in two well I would two say sessions. two 1-hour sessions and then like I did a 90-minute session that was kind of finishing and then kind of going over some stuff. Yeah. So but it was it was kind of cool just to go and like couple people liked it and you know I'm going to I wanted like it it'd be cool if we could get like more people to write. Like, I'm going to try to plan them out. Like, hey, like at 11 o'clock tonight or at 10 o'clock tonight, I'm doing a 60-minute sprint. Like, let's see how many people we can get talking and see how many words written. Because, I mean, the first one, I think I wrote 760-some words. And then the second one I did, I wrote like over 900 words in that hour. Nice. So it was kind of cool. And it's something that I'm going to try to do more. So if you, if that's something that sounds interesting to anybody, it's at Matt Shigaric on Twitter and at P Written Pod on Twitter we're going to try to keep this going and try to keep myself accountable for some of the stuff like that. So I think the next one you threw into the, uh, the show notes before we started, you want to.
1: Yeah. So uh, what I had learned, not only after we decided what our prompt was going to be this month, but even after I started writing um, is I, as I heard that the, the company, I think they're called choose co that, that owns the choose your own adventure brand. Of stories, okay, yeah. Um, if you remember those from your childhood, love them. You, yeah, they were great. Yeah. I've have, I've have had a lot of fun with them. Um, but they were going to sue Netflix over a particular episode in Black Mirror. Um, I think the episode was called Bandersnatch. Now, have you um, seen Black Mirror before? N- no, I heard it was good, but I also heard a little bit about what goes on in the first episode, and it <laughs> didn't sound like it was up my alley at all, so I, I never watched it. I heard about that first episode as well, and
0: it's right up my alley. And right. I right. still haven't watched it, but everybody who asks me if I watch Black Mirror and I say no, they're like, oh my God, this is like, you need to go watch it.
1: So yeah. well, one of these days, rate, I'm going to
0: get around to watching it.
1: Yeah, so what what they did is they did a choose your own adventure episode where you actually get to choose. I don't know if it's just the end or like the whole, the whole story you get to pick. I'm not sure. But they, they got in trouble uh, with Netflix. Netflix got in trouble with the, with ChooseCo and now they're suing them. And um, part of it was because um, Netflix had pursued some type of licensing agreement with ChooseCo previously and did not get rights to it. And, I think there was also some concerns on Chusco's part that the episode was too dark and violent and not not really um, sort of the same type of material that their brand represents as far as the types of stories go. Yeah. So I don't know where that's at in litigation um, or anything like that. Um, but how that ties into today <laughs> is that we <laughs> we wanted to do a, you know um, you know, stories that kind of followed that model. That model where, yeah. like, I'm going to give you some input and you're going to give me some input into your story and, and we have different branches, um, you know, in, in the in the narrative. And so um, this is – I will put the disclaimer out there. <laughs> you know, one, we're not worth anything. We're not worth coming after, right? But um, two, this is not a blatant attempt to rip off that concept. It, no, it's a, is... an homage, if you will. It's absolutely uh, not our idea we are we we like like the concept and we're kind of um, giving a nod to it. And everyone should go out and buy some choose your own adventure books. You know,
0: I'm, I was thinking about it because I absolutely love those. And it was what's interesting about them is like just the rereadability. You could just like read it again and do something different. You well, know, you just almost like, have
1: to sometimes. Right? Cause if you choose the wrong path, you're you're in a crummy crummy ending, and you're right. like, oh, all right, I'll get right. started over. So
0: yeah, so today's stories are going to have a
1: you help us decide kind of thing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, yeah. um, Not uh, our idea, though. Yeah, no, no, no. Not I, original concept at all. It, it's Choose Co. all the way. I, uh, I, hope, thank, I hope that covers us. Thank you,
0: Choose Co., for inspiring us. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so um, I just did one branch, and it was kind of like, do you want them to do this, or do you want them to do this? And then I just have, like, yeah, two different... That's, that's that's
1: what I did. It was going to get too complicated in such a short amount of words to have multiple branches i thought i mean I,
0: so. I i will give mad props to the authors of the choose your own adventures book because even if you're writing like you know middle grade fiction or whatever that had to be a nightmare to like keep straight you know well, what you i mean probably
1: what you do is you just once you pick a branch you just write that story to completion maybe right yeah and but i think they had a lot more other branches, branches there.
0: that kind of i don't know man like i almost want to go back to refamiliarize myself with I like i probably the original still have books. some
1: do you really I think I have a bunch of I, I have a bunch of books in a box from when I was a kid. Like, you know, not like like baby books, but like sure. books that you were reading when you were in fifth grade or something, kind of a thing, or and on up. I probably still have them somewhere.
0: Well, that's interesting.
1: I'll have to see. All
0: right. Well, let me know if you do, because I might stop by and grab one of them so I can uh But I think that's all we got for um I guess our banter. general discussion, which I wanted to be short, but went kind of long, but that's fine. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, you, you, you come for the banter, stay for the story. Absolutely. And my story, like I'll apologize, like mine mine's pretty long. But you know, we'll get to that in a second. Do you uh you want to kick it off or do you want me
1: to kick it off? It doesn't matter. Um
0: why don't you go for it?
1: Okay. Uh, my story is called Brave of the Dark. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Day one. You hear someone say it, casually, flippantly even, three seats down the tacky condensation ringed surface of the bar. There's been another inversion. You look up with something like mild interest, but you're trying to hide the look of angst that wants to break out on your stubbled face like a rash of anxiety. The flat screen TV is just above you, and you see the news segment just like all the others before it. There's a shot from a vantage point in the sky, probably a news chopper. Maybe 500 feet away is the blackest, most impenetrable column of clouds you've ever seen, hanging over the Atlantic. But it's not a column of clouds. It's an inverted cone that seems to funnel upward, a rift in space-time. And inside that rift, a portal to a future unrecognizable. These inversions have appeared seemingly at random for the past five years all across the globe, but no one knows who or what is behind these attempts to bring the future into the present. Nor does anyone know why. You only know it's imperative to close them before someone or something comes through from the other side. You push your bottle of beer away from you. Still cold and half full, it won't taste right now. Not with a call that's coming. You pick up your cell phone that's been sitting face down on the bar. The home screen shows the smiling face of your four-year-old daughter, Samantha. All pigtails and freckles. Then, like clockwork, the phone rings and you answer. Day two. You're sitting in a metal chair before a wide desk of similar construction on the third floor of React Central Command, New York. Beyond row upon row of monitors mounted floor to ceiling and a sea of desks manned by analysts with headsets clacking away at keyboards. A stout man named Major Jeffers stands behind the desk with an open file folder and a mess of scattered papers. His silver hair is trimmed high and tight and his hawk nose cuts through the cool tense air like a dividing line. It's not a standard op this time. The energy signature isn't as stable as the others. He pauses, and his eyes bore into you like they're looking for a target. You think about the three other missions you've flown into other inversions. Toronto, Los Angeles, the Yuma Desert. And, Jeffers leans in with both hands on the desk, and this one is closed and reopened twice already of its own accord. Day three. You're sitting at a round kitchen table in your small apartment kitchenette. Samantha sits across from you. It's early. The sun hasn't come up yet, and the smell of coffee lingers. Samantha sets her spoon next to her cereal bowl. Why do you gotta go away again? I have to go find something important. Her eyes widen. Like treasure? You allow a tight-lipped grin. Sure, it's kind of like a really hard treasure hunt. Why, because it's dark? No, that's not it. Samantha falls silent for a moment. Are you afraid of the dark, daddy? Your mind drifts, thinking about the throat of an inversion. It's like the blackest coal in the bowels of the deepest subterranean shaft of the earth. Or a heavy shroud over blindfolded eyes. Absence of light. The sheer lack of visibility swallows everything so that even the controls of your craft are lost. The blinking indicators on the instrument cluster only pinpricks of red and yellow. You force a happy expression. No, honey. You don't have to be afraid of the dark, either. Samantha grins her wonderful smile. I'm going to be brave of the dark, then. Your heart fills with a fleeting warmth. That's right, brave of the dark. Later. You're in the hangar of React Command Center Sub-Level 1. It's a cavernous, hollow shell of a room held up by a skeleton of metal rafters. The concrete is cluttered with personnel, pushback tugs, and the squat, smooth bodies of the scout crafts, specially designed to travel into the inversions. A small unit of soldiers assembles nearby, stowing their gear into a larger transport version of the scout. The soldier closest to you, a brawny, tobacco-chewing bear of a man, grins at you. A patch on his uniform says, Tanner. Ever been in before? You nod, yeah. Tanner performs a weapon check on his M4. Well, you come out of this one and you'll be a hero. Women lined up for miles. You do your best to stifle a smirk. Tanner gives you a sideways glance. What, you got some sweet honey pot at home? No, just my daughter. Later. You're in the scout, buckled in with a five-point harness, right hand on the stick and left hand on the throttle. All of the equipment is switched over to analog so as to minimize the impact of the inversion. With a howling thrust of the engine behind you, you enter. There's no radio chatter, only the quiet hum of the equipment inside the craft. You don't even hear the engine anymore. You trust the transport craft is behind you as you guide your scout forward right before you're enveloped by complete, utter, unending blackness. You think about your mission, locating the synchronous gate device that opened the inversion and rigging it with explosives. The stark difference this time is that you have no idea when or if the inversion will close on its own again. You hope with every fiber of your being that you'll make it out before then. It's either Samantha or nothing. In five minutes' time, the crackle of the radio returns, and then the cabin is filled with the urgency of a banshee wind. It's a turbulence that rocks the scout with the roar of a freight train. You struggle for control of the stick and increase throttle. You emerge from a bank of blood-red clouds and veer toward a rocky embankment that overlooks a craggy, dusty wasteland before you flip the equipment over to digital and begin the landing cycle. Day 4 You haven't seen the soldiers in 12 hours. There were only three of them that survived the crash landing of the transport scout, Tanner being one of them. Better stay cocked and ready to rock was the last thing he said before you got separated in a hazy dust storm that swept across the bleak, ten-mile valley you were trying to cross. You've pressed on with an MP5 slung close to your Kevlar body armor. Only two miles to go, you think to yourself as you grip the transceiver whose green screen blips stronger the nearer you veer toward the gate device. You know Tanner's team has a transceiver of their own and wonder whether they'll course-correct in time. Only once have you seen signs of life, or what can be called life. Strange biomechanical creatures called Biotrons have been reported by other scout pilots, but your encounter was with a tracker. You barely evaded the relentless attack of that roving, seek-and-destroy drone, one of many that drift along the landscape like vicious wolves. Later. You crest the top of a dusty, cracked ridge. The ribbon of purple sky beyond it blends into the shallow, tar-like sea at the horizon. However, there's nothing on the shore below where you expect to see the cylindrical form of the gate device. You check the transceiver again, only to find that the blip is moving, seemingly across the sea. Cursing to yourself, you turn and gaze at the impenetrable dust storm that still rages behind you, but there's no sign of Tanner or the others. Time is critical, and you tell yourself they knew what they signed up for, and so you begin your descent down the ridge to the shore. Not two steps down, your foot slips and you tumble to the bottom. There's a sharp pain in the back of your head before things go dark. Later, you come to, squinting at the dull ache that radiates throughout your skull. Heat lightning flashes in the distance and then you see it. Standing seven feet tall is a Biotron. Its narrow, battered metal frame balances upon some type of gyroscopic, ball-shaped wheel. And a humanoid face... Sickly pale tissue that's scarred and chapped sits cradled in a frame of tubes and wires at the top. You instinctively pull back, kicking yourself away from the freakish being that stands only feet away. Flipping the safety off, you begin to raise the MP5 when the Biotron speaks. Do not fire your weapon. Its voice is tinny and mechanical, yet retains some semblance of a human. Keen eyes, harshly blue, stare down at you with a calm demeanor. The gate device is on the move. The system knows you're here. You must come with me. Your mind spins, reeling from the pain, confusion, and uncertainty of what to do. You ask yourself whether you can trust this strange creature. I don't even know what you are. We must find the device before it closes the gate again. Otherwise, you can never go home. It spins on its wheel and whirs quietly to the shore before it turns back to you. Come. Dazed, your only motivation is time once again. You stand, collect your gear, and follow. Climb onto me, the Biotron says. You look at the brackish water before you, but how will we climb onto me, the Biotron commands. You obey, hauling yourself up onto its back and wrapping your hands around the metal frame below its face. Then it rolls to the edge of the water, where you hear a faint whine before the Biotron begins to lift so that it hovers only inches above the water. Then you're off, streaking across the surface, water spraying behind you as if you're riding a hovercraft. Holding on as tight as you can, You lean forward and shout over the wind. What do I call you? The Biotron's reply is calm and quiet. Andro. Later. You've crossed the sea and now streak across an ash-peppered tundra, gray and washed out. Your eyes burn and your throat is parched. Andro continues to whir away, leaning into the wind at speed. Through a cluster of scorched trees, you see a faint blue glow. The transceiver beeps incessantly, and you know it must be the gate device. Andro rides down through a gulch and then back up, at which point you see the glow isn't from the device, but rather a tracker sitting near a blackened tree trunk. The tracker consists of two large metal wheels, as tall as a man, curved like shields on the outside and connected by a smooth, polished metal core which serves as a track for the angry glowing orb that stares back at you. The machine advances, the outer wheels grinding into the earth, while the glowing eye of the orb remains fixed on you despite its own rolling motion. You see the gate device laying behind it. Then the tracker tips up onto one of its wheels like a top and begins to spin. The orb glows red as it whirs around its track faster and faster until it's a freakish blur, and you know this is the lethal plasma weapon other pallets have told you about. Tense, you hang onto Andro's frame with a wet grip, transfixed by the gyrating form of the tracker. Then the rumble of the sky breaks your hesitation, and you know you have two choices. To fire upon the tracker with your gun in hopes of inflicting debilitating damage, choose option A. To leap off Andro and run, hoping the two nightmarish machines will duke it out and thereby buy you time to escape. Choose option B.
0: Hmm. Huh. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I want to go with B. B. Yeah, we're gonna let the we're gonna let them
1: duke it out. Alright. Option B. The advanced technology of the tracker is too terrifying for you. Your measly 9 millimeter bullets will be no match for its armoured plating. You jump down from Andro's frame and run. You don't look back when you hear the explosion. You don't want to see Andro's pieces of parts scattered across the terrain as the shockwave concusses you and sends you stumbling. With ragged breath, your knees begin to buckle, but you somehow keep moving. The only thing that drives you is the fear of the tracker running you down. You don't remember the desolate tundra, borne along by your ragged will. You drag yourself along without thinking. It's only some automatic sense of survival that gets you across the sea, alternating between floating like a dead man and weakly paddling yourself along using a log you dragged into the water. The dust storm nearly does you in, but you finally make it to your scout, wobbly and exhausted. You lay beside it for an indeterminate amount of time before you haul yourself into the cockpit. You take off and steer the scout into the inversion. Considering the mission a failure, you can only hope there will be enough time to regroup and prepare another team. The dark pulls you in once more as you think about Samantha. She's the only thing you care about now, the only thing that matters. You picture landing the scout, getting debriefed by Jeffers, hitting the shower and then going home. But the dismal gray light on the other side of the inversion halts further thought. The scout emerges from the throat and you see a crumbling desolation where the New York City skyline should be. The orange sky is cracked with a blister of lightning and the churning waters of the Atlantic pull you down to the depths after you lose control of the craft and crash into the darkness. The end. <laughs> you chose poorly.
0: Yeah, you know, well, I, so, my thought, right, was exactly the thought that you read.
1: That you have no choice but to run?
0: Well, because, yeah, you you sit in there and you're like, well, what, I'm going to fire, a, like, what kind of, like, Okay, you know what? Should we read both endings? Because
1: now I'm pissed. It's It won't take long. I can reread. I can read the option A. All
0: right. So, so this is what you missed. Okay, so let's go back to option A, and then everybody can tweet at me and tell me how stupid I was for picking the wrong one.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Leaning around Andro's head, you aim your MP5 and fire. Almost all the bullets ping and ricochet off the top wheel, but one finds placement, disrupting the travel of the orb along its track. Uh, wow. The tracker veers off kilter, rolls to the side and explodes. Both you and Andro are knocked back by the blast. With your head ringing and blood pouring from a gash in your forehead, you hustle over to the gate device and rig it with the explosives before hopping onto Andro. Andro turns and drives you back the way you came, across the tundra and sea, into the dust storm and finally back to your scout. You jump down from Andro's frame and look toward the sky. The inversion has shrunk due to the gate device having been moved so far away. And according to your watch, you only have five more minutes until the explosives destroy it. Tanner and the others are nowhere to be seen, but you have no choice. You turn to thank Andro, but the strange machine has already departed, flitting away on its fantastic wheel. You feel a strange sense of gratitude to the machine's devotion and willingness to help as you get into the scout's cockpit. You wonder whether all the Biotrons are the same as you take off and steer the scout into what's left of the inversion. But now the dark isn't so crushing. You know there's light on the other side, you know this even before you break through the throat of the inversion, gliding in low across the deep blue of the Atlantic as you escape its dark grasp. The end. I picked the wrong one. You picked the wrong one. Yeah, but you know I... that's what happens in a choose your own adventure book. Yeah, you can it... choose the wrong path and have a very disappointing ending.
0: So we will we will talk again after I read. Okay. So for me this month. I'm just a freaking mess. Like, I, I was writing this to the last minute. I have no title. <laughs> Come on. And I, like, well, it's just, like, and I, like, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a title by the end of this. But I also, like, doubled the word count. Like, I don't know what the hell was wrong with me. But the, uh, what I will say is this almost reads almost more like middle grade fiction, I would say. Okay. So I'm thinking we might get through it quick. So um, just to avoid, like, taking up more time than we need to because I have, like, 4,000 words to read, we're just going to get going. How's that? Sure. All right. So here we go. Sarah yawned and tried to rub the sleep out of her eyes as she made her way downstairs. The faint glow of the nightlight at the base of the staircase illuminated her destination, but she still had to feel for the edge of each step as her eyes adjusted to the dark. Her mother's laughter stopped her at the halfway point. That's weird, thought Sarah. She did the TV, so she assumed that her parents had already gone to bed. She peered over the banister and saw them cuddled up to each other at one end of the couch. The lamp on the end table cast almost a spotlight over them and reflected off the wine glasses that each of them held. Sarah's mom took a sip and rested her head on her husband's shoulder as he placed his own glass down and flipped the page of the photo album that they were both engrossed in. What are you guys looking at? Her mom jumped, causing the wine in her glass to slosh around, She compensated for the sudden movement and expertly calmed the liquid without spilling a drop. What are you doing awake? Oh, never mind. Come on down here. We're just looking at the wedding album. Sarah's eyes widened and she was instantly awake. Your anniversary! Hold on a second! She bounded up the stairs and the couple stared into the blackness of the stairwell as they listened to the sound of their daughter's room being ransacked. The ruckus stopped as quickly as it started and Sarah reappeared, tearing down the stairs two at a time nearly face-planting into the wall at the end of the landing, but expertly pivoting 45 degrees at the last possible moment, her feet firmly gripped the plush carpet of the living room directly in front of her parents. She produced a handmade card from behind her back. If she had smiled any bigger, her face surely would have started to split. Happy anniversary! She threw her arms around her parents. The embrace nearly spilled the wine again, and the second glass was passed between the adults in place next to the other on the end table. Sarah's mom moved over to create a space for her between them. Sarah held up the card proudly in the light so all could see. Look, I drew you two! Sarah's mom's jaw dropped as she looked upon a nearly perfect recreation of her favorite wedding photo done in pencil. It showed the two of them embraced in laughter in between posed shots. She traced the outline of the pearl necklace that fell just below her neckline in the drawing. Tears welled in her eyes and she turned to wipe them on a blanket draped over the back of the couch. When she turned back, she saw that her husband had turned to the actual photo and was comparing it to his daughter's work side by side. The tears began to fall again. Mom, what's wrong? Sarah watched as her dad took notice and closed the album, reaching across to rubber mom's shoulder. He wiped the tears from her eyes and gently ran the back of his hand across her cheek before turning his attention back to Sarah. Do you remember the story about our first apartment? Sarah thought about it for a second, her face finally lighting up in recollection. You mean the one that burned down? Yeah, it's the one. You see, after the wedding, your mother and I decided it would be fun to bury a time capsule that we could open again on our first anniversary. We wrote a note to each other and placed one item that we treasured from that day and buried it in the basement of the building. The thing that your mother chose to bury was that pearl necklace. He squeezed his wife's shoulder and she began to sob softly. When the building burned, the bottom floor nearly collapsed into the basement, and we were never able to get back to the spot where the capsule was buried. Sarah sat in silence for a moment as she processed this. The building's still there. Why not you just go get it? This brought her mom back to reality. She looked at Sarah's determined face and felt every bit of the unconditional love that her daughter had for her. It's not that easy, honey. It's never been fully cleaned up, and it's not safe to be there. It's simply not worth the risk. Her mother's voice shuddered as those last words came out. She looked up at her husband. You remember the night we buried it? He smirked and gave her another squeeze. Of course I do, he laughed. One doesn't simply forget almost being decapitated by a crazy lady with a broom. Sarah perked up at this. What happened? She beamed. Well, her dad looked to his wife who nodded her approval. Your mother and I were as far back as we could be underneath the stairs. We had just finished, uh, hugging... After we buried it and we were getting ready to leave when we heard someone come down the stairs. We huddled back into the shadows, but apparently our position had already been made. Sarah's eyes bulged. Who was it? Her mom answered. Mrs. Gelati. She lived on the first floor and took care of cleaning the halls and common areas. Nice lady. Her dad smiled. Yeah, nice until she gets woken up in the middle of the night. Then she became a broom-wielding maniac. After one hit to the head, she got all stabby and started poking me with the handle. couple inches lower and you might not even be here today, kid. This prompted a not-so-gentle punch to the arm from his wife. Stop it, she said. She really was sweet most of the time. Sure. Real sweet. What was she yelling at us? Sarah's mom laughed. Something about you crazy canoodling kids. Sarah knew exactly what they were talking about, but wasn't ready for them to know that she understood. So she forced an awkward laugh and tried to steer the conversation away from the canoodling. What happened to her? Parents shared a brief moment and Sarah watched the smiles disappear from their faces. Well, she didn't make it out of the fire. I think that it started in the basement and smoke filled the first floor pretty quick. She probably never even woke up. It was now Sarah's turn to wipe the tears from her eyes. Her parents moved in for a quick embrace and her dad, the expert tear remover that he was, now took care of his daughter's. All right, kiddo, it's pretty late. You better scoot off to bed. In fact, I think we're going to turn in pretty soon as well. Sarah's mom confirmed this idea with a rather impressive yawn. She gave her parents each a quick hug and beelined it for the stairs. She stopped at the top just outside her bedroom door and yelled, Good night. I love you. Happy anniversary. She closed the door behind her and jumped into bed, pulling the covers up to just below her nose and nuzzled into her pillow. After a moment, her eyes shot open and she sat straight up grabbing her cell phone from her nightstand. She furiously typed out a message, hit send, and returned to her covers, this time allowing her eyes to close. Sarah relentlessly mashed the doorbell of her best friend Natalie's house. It took far too long for the door to open, and when it finally did, she yanked her friend out onto the porch and shut the door behind her. I need your help. Promise me you'll help. Natalie tried to get a read of her friend's face but came up short. Well, that depends on... She was cut short by a shrieking Sarah. Depends! I don't recall hitting you with the depends that time when you needed me to... All right, all right, I'm in. What exactly are we doing? Sarah opened the door and pushed her friend back inside. No time, I'll explain on the way. Just grab a jacket and meet me by the garage. Your dad probably has a shovel in there, right? Natalie's eyes went from wide open to a suspicious sliver. A shovel? What the... Go, cried Sarah. You'll know soon enough. It only took a few minutes for Natalie to get ready and the girls were on their way. Sarah seemed to be power walking and the awkward task of carrying the shovel made keeping up with her difficult. Slow down, would you? Sarah broke out of whatever haze she was in and stopped to let her friend catch up. Sorry, I just really want to get there. Natalie smirked as she reached her friend, letting the blade of the shovel hit the sidewalk with a clang. Speaking of which, mind telling me where we're going? Maybe even why we're going there? Sorry about that. I'll I'll fill you in. We, We gotta keep moving. The girls started to walk again, this time at a more leisurely pace. A light breeze started to blow and both pulled their jackets tighter around them. Natalie listened attentively as Sarah filled her in about the time capsule, its contents, and how they never got the chance to dig it back up. So today's their anniversary. I figured since I don't really have any money to get them anything, I would go and get the time capsule for them. A grin grew across Natalie's face. It's so sweet of you. Where is it buried? Sarah hesitated. Uh, you know, a, a place. Her pace quickened, but Natalie wasn't having it. She grabbed Sarah by the shoulder and spun her around a little harder than she had intended. Hey! Startled Sarah. Watch it! I'm sorry, that was an accident. But I'm not going one step further until you tell me where we're going. Sarah sighed. Well, when my parents first got married, they they couldn't afford a house, so they lived in an apartment. They buried it in the basement of that building. Natalie took this in, but after a moment, her eyes grew large and her smile disappeared. You don't mean... Yeah, it's the old Bradley building. After the fire, they couldn't get back in to get it. Natalie spun around and started to storm away. It was now Sarah's turn to chase down her friend. Natalie shoved Sarah's hand away, but stopped nonetheless. Her eyes showed a combination of anger and fear. The Bradley building? You can't be serious. Suddenly, Natalie was very aware of how loud her voice was and lowered it to a shouted whisper. You know what they say about that place, she said as she looked around to make sure no one was listening haunted. Sarah searched her friend's face for signs of joking, but got nothing back but a stone-cold stare. She couldn't help but chuckle, which seemed to trigger her friend even more. It's not funny. People died in that building. You know Timmy? His friends once triple-dog dared him to go in there. And you know you can't turn down a triple-dog dare. And he was only in there for two minutes before he came running out screaming with shit in his pants. Sarah looked at her friend in disbelief, still holding back laughter. Oh yeah? What did he see? Natalie shrugged. No one knows, he wouldn't say, but we do know that there was shit in his pants. Sarah had to bite her lip to keep the giggles at bay. So there's no way you're getting me anywhere near that building. Well, it's kind of too late for that. Look. Natalie's eyes followed Sarah's outstretched arm, which pointed to the rotting carcass of the shit-inducing Bradley building. The only thing that now stood between the girls and the structure was an abandoned parking lot. Sarah started to make her way across the broken pavement, stopping occasionally to brush aside some of the overgrown weeds coming from the cracks. Natalie stood in disbelief as she watched her friend go. Suddenly, finding herself incredibly alone, she rushed ahead to join Sarah. Nice of you to join me, grinned Sarah. Yeah, well, I am the one with the shovel. She gripped it baseball-style and waved it in a way she thought to be threatening. Good thing it'll come in handy to dig up the capsule. Plus, it's well known that shovels are a fail-safe protection against... Sarah stopped suddenly in her tracks, her mouth agape. Protection against what? Sarah raised her arm once more, pointing directly in front of her. Natalie's eyes met the source of the distraction as the word exited Sarah's mouth. Ghosts. The two girls watched as the transparent figure of an old woman slowly passed just yards in front of them. She held a broom and appeared to be Cleaning? She hovered just slightly above the surface of the ground and turned the corner, disappearing around the side of the building without seeming to notice the girls. Sarah and Natalie looked at each other in stunned silence, both unwilling to make a sound. Looked back to the building and back to each other. Natalie broke the silence. What should we do? All right, Ian. Do you want the girls to continue going into the building or do you want the girls to get the hell out of here? Uh, they should go in the building. They should go in the building? Okay. Yes. What do you mean, what should we do? We go in. We came this far, Sarah huffed as she started toward the building. The girls crept in the entrance and were instantly stopped in their tracks. For a building that had burnt down over a decade ago, it had been kept up quite well. While there was an eerie sense of emptiness and the charred walls blatantly recalled the building's demise, there was not a speck of dust or a cobweb in sight. Look over there, whispered Natalie as she pointed to the sign designating the stairwell. The two girls moved with purpose across the floor and descended into the basement. The light switch at the bottom of the stairs proved useless, but enough light came through the windows to allow them to navigate around. The walls down here didn't fare as well as on the main floor, and the girls were easily able to step through the beams that framed the stairs. My mom said it was under the stairs as back as far as you could go. Natalie nodded and passed Sarah the shovel, who accepted it with a quizzical look on her face. What? You didn't think I was going to be the one digging, did you? Sarah just rolled her eyes. I I guess not. She shoved the blade of the shovel into the dirt, which proved to be softer than she expected. She made quick work of it, and after digging down about a foot or so, the girls both perked up as the shovel clinked against something metal. They both dropped to their knees at the edge of the hole and began to dig with their hands. Within seconds, Sarah clutched a green insulated thermos. Natalie looked to Sarah for confirmation. Is that it? (laughs) Sarah shrugged. Only one way to find out. She struggled to open the lid, but with a little elbow grease, she was able to remove it. The inner seal came off easier, and she tipped the thermos over and watched as the pearl necklace fell into her hands. Tears welled in her eyes. This is it, said Sarah as she returned the contents to the bottle. She wiped the tears from her eyes with a sniffle. So what do you think you're doing down here? The girl spun around to find the old woman with her broom in swatting position, ready to strike. "'Nothing,' cried Sarah frantically. "'We're just here to get this. "'My, my parents, they, they used to live here, and they buried it, and, "'and I just wanted it back. "'We didn't do anything. "'Don't hurt us!' The old woman relaxed her grip on the broom and chuckled to herself. "'Ah, yes. "'I was there the night they did it. "'I think I gave them quite a fright.' Sarah laughed nervously. "'Yeah, I think they mentioned you,' the old woman continued. "'And if I remember correctly,' That old thermos wasn't the only thing being buried down here that night. The two girls looked at each other and responded in unison. Huh? Oh, never mind. You girls better get out of here. It's dangerous. Yes, ma'am. The girls ran up the stairs and out the door. They ran across the parking lot and looked back to see the old woman exit and resume her sweeping, her feet now very visible. They took off again, not stopping until they got to the end of Sarah's driveway. Thanks, Nat. I owe you. Natalie smiled. You owe me big time. Sarah ran up her driveway and burst through the front door of their house. Her parents jumped out of the seats in the living room and ran to meet her. Sarah Nicole, where have you been? cried her mother. Your father and I have been worried sick. Sarah said nothing, but couldn't get the grin off her face. She clutched the thermos in her hands and thrust it out in front of her. She watched as her parents' eyes dropped and reveled as their expressions shifted from anger to love. Happy anniversary. The End
1: Okay, that didn't turn out anything like how I thought it would.
0: Would you care to see what happens if the girls run away? Yeah, and this is the, you'll you'll see what I was talking about earlier right now. But um, here we go. What should we do? Um, we should get the hell out of here. Or I guess, if you prefer, we could go in and let the ghost maid sweep our souls straight to hell. Sarah nodded. I'm I'm good on that. Let's go. The girls turned and found themselves face to face with the phantom caretaker. She hovered in the air and looked down at the girls with a look that made them want to shrink into their skin. Sarah met the figure's gaze and became transfixed, unable to look away. She raised her hand and reached out towards the woman's face. Her finger broke through the plane where skin should have been and felt what she could only imagine to be the icy chill of death. She shivered. Natalie stood frozen, unsure of what to do. Just as Sarah pulled her finger back, the woman snapped out of whatever trance she was in. Damn it! Seriously?! The woman's voice was gentle and soft, but had an almost ringing quality to it, reminding Sarah of church bells. The girls jumped back. You came face to face with an actual ghost, and your first instinct is to poke at it? Who does that? It doesn't feel all that great to me either, you know? The woman came closer and proceeded to poke Sarah back in a very similar manner, her ghostly finger disappearing into her right cheek. Sarah began to laugh uncontrollably. That tickles! Are you freaking kidding me? The ghost pulled back and spun around angrily. Of course, blind piercing pain for me, and it tickles you. That's just perfect. Sarah and Natalie exchanged a look, unsure of how to respond. Uh, sorry, was all that Sarah was able to muster. The woman sighed and collected herself. All right, well, I guess the whole scary thing isn't going to work for me now, so maybe you two could just tell me what your business is here. Sarah took a deep breath. Well, uh, ma'am... Call me Edna. Okay, Edna. Well, the thing is, my parents used to live here, and they buried this time capsule under the stairs after their wedding, and they never got it back due to the fire. Edna just looked down at her. Well, today's their anniversary, so I thought I would go and get it for them. Edna continued to stare for a moment and then sighed, which brought back the chilly breeze. The girls shivered. Wait here. With that... Edna lurched five or six feet into the air and darted across the parking lot, disappearing through the wall of the old building. Natalie spoke up. You know, she's pretty nimble for her age. Before Sarah could respond, Edna reappeared in front of them. She held a small green thermos. You can have this on one condition. Sarah was on her tiptoes, shifting her weight from leg to leg in excitement. Anything. Natalie nodded in agreement, once again being rendered speechless by Edna's presence. Well... I'm a little annoyed that I broke character in front of you two, so I want you to go and tell all of your little friends that I'm absolutely terrifying. Like, really scary. I like messing with the ones that think they're brave. I once made this pesky little turd shit his pants. He was so scared. The two girls snickered and tried to stifle their laughter. Sarah agreed at once. Super scary. I thought you were going to kill us. Now confident that she was no longer in danger, Natalie let down her guard. Totally scary. I even peed a little when I saw you. All right, easy. We've already got a poop story, so we don't want it to sound forced. I'm serious. Edna's eyes moved south and saw the wet patch on Natalie's jeans. Ew, she said before doing her fancy ghost jump again, only this time disappearing into the ground. Two girls waited for a moment to see if she would come back, and when she didn't, they turned and ran, not stopping until they were in the safety of Sarah's driveway. The end.
1: Oh, okay. So that one didn't quite end how I thought either.
0: Yeah, well, it was it was weird because like originally I actually had them end absolutely the same. Like they ended the same way; it was just a different way to get there. Sure, but like, um, I didn't really need to repeat
1: it again. I don't think you know right, what I mean. Yeah, no, I so, like that you have two two separate endings. I mean, they're 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 similar, but yeah, not word for word. And I, I think it's uh it's another good example of. Uh, well, you know, good, good realistic dialogue. I, I, I really like writing dialogue. I think that's your your strong and, suit and, for sure. And
0: I, I don't know what it was about this. Um, I really wanted to write a ghost story, but like for whatever reason, it turned into this like it was almost Ghostbusters ish. You know, like they're scary, but they're kind of right. funny too. Yeah. You know, so it was funny because I had my wife read it, and she was like, "Well, what's what I think is interesting is like." Like, well, like what you did, you were like, well, you want the girls to go into the building. Like, why turn sure. around and run? Which is actually really stupid because I told you to turn around and run in your story.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I I get the- well, I mean, I guess the, the assumption is that if you go into the house or the apartment, then something will happen. And right. You, you know, obviously, because we know you have to write two endings, then, yeah, and you know, probably something will happen if they leave, too.
0: But it was it was like I, I really wanted I was going to kill them in one of them, you know.
1: Right. It's just
0: me. Like, I need people dying.
1: Well, I'm glad you didn't because, like (laughs) I said, the Choose Co's issue with uh, that Black Mirror episode is that it was too dark, so Um, have just saved us. But um,
0: I don't know. For whatever reason, I was going to go scarier with the second one when she, like, reached out and touched the ghost, but then for for whatever reason, I was like, it'd be hilarious if she was just like, seriously, you're going to poke a ghost? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like what the hell are you thinking so yeah i just decided to go kind of lighthearted and fun with it
1: yeah that's two light-hearted ones in a row from you this i know uh, which means next time i gotta go dark right i'm scared i'm scared <laughs> to hear what you write next oh man so yeah sorry
0: that was kind of long but i think it read pretty quick
1: it it did yeah i mean it wasn't um like you said you know as far as the reading level you know it was a it, relatively simple yeah it was read. pretty
0: straightforward i mean the the you know, the protagonist was a kid, you know, like can't really go too, too crazy with that. I was, it was funny because when I did the, um, the, um, the writing sprints or whatever, I was listening to the, the score from the Goonies. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that kind of just like put me in like a kid kind of mode. That's such a great movie. It really is. So yeah, but like, it was like a real funny story on the side note. I was sitting up there doing a sprint and it was like, I don't know what song I was listening to. I'll find the name of the track and I'll put like a link to it in the show notes. But it was like, it must have been when they were like creeping around, like, and it was actually like, you know, they were like scared. And I Mm -hmm. look up and Marlena, my wife, is just staring at me, just like deadpan. And I yelled. I was like, (laughs) ah! And she just busted out laughing, scared the shit out of me.
1: And then I just went back. So there you have it. So, I mean, aside from being sort of quasi-inspired by Goonies, uh, what was the, what was like the, the, the genesis of, of, of the story? Um, I mean, it's pretty particular. You have a very specific set of events that, that happened.
0: Well, when I started thinking about it, we said treasure hunt. And like, honestly, like the Goonies was probably like the first thing that popped into my head. So I was like, well, we need people looking for something. That was like, that was the the whole point, right? character characters got to be looking yeah. for something.
1: Yeah that's, that's not what we said last episode. I, just, I think this is probably the first time we said the word treasure hunt though this episode. yeah,
0: right. So but I couldn't come up with anything, and then I was like we my, my wife and I went away for our, our wedding anniversary for a couple of days, and like so we were like celebrating our anniversary, and for whatever reason, I decided to tie the like the time capsule kind of thing into an anniversary kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then everything else just kind of came as I started writing. Nice.
1: Yeah. So, so you you allowed a fair amount of organic development then. Oh yeah,
0: I pretty much just like it was probably pretty much just like um, uh, it was pretty much free writing the whole time. It's just like I kind of sat down and just saw where it went. And that's probably why it's a little longer than the other ones because the other ones usually have pretty strict outlines before I start writing. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to reel it back in. Towards that two thousand words for for next
1: month for sure, and your your ghost uh, seems to be obsessed with cleanliness.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I thought that I thought that was interesting because, like, you know, at the beginning of the story, it was actually just kind of trying to fix something that I didn't feel like going in and readjusting because at the beginning of the story, I said that the the first level like nearly collapsed into the basement. Mm-hmm. But then it, like I was like, well, if I'm going to have the ghost be the cleaning lady, like maybe she's still there and cleaning. So um, I think like I implied in the first one that like she wasn't really dead. She was just there and she was just still taking care of her building. Um, but then she was totally a ghost in the second one, making kids pee.
1: Oh, so she wasn't. She wasn't a ghost in the first one? No,
0: it was just, like, and maybe I could have made that more clear, but I, oh, I said... I said, I just
1: assumed she was. Yeah, no, I said
0: something at the end, like, I tried to... I, th- I probably just cheated, by the way, I out of it, it, to tell you the truth, like, where her feet were completely visible this time as she walked around the building.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I heard you say that, but I uh, I didn't make the connection. Yeah,
0: so, okay. yeah, my intention was, like, she wasn't actually dead, and it was just, like, this woman was still there taking care of a building.
1: I, I see. Yeah.
0: Second one, not she bad. was just like kind of like a snarky ghost. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What about you? Where did, you did it? where did this come from? Because like this, it was very like mech. Like I feel like there's a science fiction story in there somewhere, Mr. Lewis.
1: Well, so yeah this this actually was influenced by a, co- a couple different things. And what's so fun about this podcast is that you know I'm not bound or constrained by any particular genre or style. I can do whatever I want. Right. But you know, being that this was sort of riffing on the you know choose your own path kind of thing, um, yeah, I, I went with a second person. I've never written anything in second person before. Um, but if I recall those books, those choose your own adventure books were all kind of at least the ones I remember were written in second person. Huh. I really got to go back and find one of them. I think. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of I kind of went with that, and it was it was kind of weird, but you know you get used to it
0: once you get going. Right. Well, there was a, I had a big transition when I started writing prose from screenwriting because everything in screenwriting is present tense. Oh, sure. You know, and then when you're trying to write in past tense, like, I mean, my first few things that I was trying to write in prose, like you wouldn't believe how many edits I had to go back through. And I guarantee there's still some present tense in some of them.
1: Well, the same thing happened to me when I, you know, when I tried to write screenplays that it was hard for me to do present tense because I was so used to doing the reverse. But um, the the title came from, it's like a it's like a childish phrase. So like my my kids, you know, when they, you know, say they're afraid of the dark, you know, you tell them, oh, you don't have to be afraid of the dark, and so they say, okay, daddy, we'll, we'll be brave of the dark.
0: <laughs> that's that's incredibly adorable.
1: It is, and then I was like, well, that, there's something there, like that. It's such a good phrase. Like I have to use that somehow, and so I kind of went back and. So part of the story that the scene where the the decision scene where you know the you've got the tracker kind of spinning getting ready to shoot its plasma weapon, mm-hmm. um, I wrote uh, on the the fantasy writer subreddit there was like a a writing prompt like fifty word, uh, little blurb uh, and the pr- uh, the prompt was trapped, so I wrote something that was very similar to this scene. Um, I reworked it for this, but. The, uh, the Even the concept then for that scene goes back to, again, my kids, back when they were actually probably just before I had my, we had our second son, um, playing with like the silly little, like infant toys kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my imagination is always, always going. And so I, there was this toy. It was like, it was like this, you know, like a barrel of monkeys kind of a looking thing, but it wasn't okay. like the little barrel of, it was, but it was like a, like a very, flat looking kind of monkey like character standing on a ball and the ball would roll and you could kind of roll them around. And somehow my mind turned that into this bio, this <laughs> Biotron creature. And then the tracker was this weird, like this was like an ancient toy that we somehow inherited from my mother in law's house. Um For lack of a better description, it looked like an apple core. Okay. With a, with a little ball that would track on the inside. Hmm. And so, like my mind just kind of like I, it was probably sleep deprived, like you know half awake.
0: That's where the best you know, stories come w- from. With
1: with a new infant, and like you're you've got these little, or a toddler rather, probably at that point, these mm-hmm. these silly little toys, and my mind is trying to occupy itself or something. Um, but I'm like, well, that these types of things are, have to appear then, in, like either the future, or an alternate dimension, and so I I kind of went with, um, I tied into the one choose your own adventure story that I remember vividly, it was like a, um, sort of a alternate dimension time travelish sort of a thing. Um, and so I, I kind of riffed on that and, 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 and kind of ended up with this. So
0: I think I found the choose your own adventure book I'm going to buy. Oh
1: yeah. It's called
0: space and beyond. It's got a spaceship and a dinosaur on the cover. I mean,
1: so what, what's interesting <laughs> about this lawsuit is that I, it, to me, I remember there being at least one, if not more, other book series that were very similar. So there was one called The Time Machine or Time Machine Something or Other. I
0: don't know if I remember and that. And it was
1: a, it was the same kind of concept. You could travel through time. It was almost like a quantum leap sort of a thing. And uh, like, but it was like a choose your own adventure format. And so to me, it's like,
0: yeah, it's it's almost
1: like one of those things can where you, can you really like copyright that or not copyright it but trademark it? It's tough.
0: I mean, they could probably trademark the the choose your own adventure, but yeah, I mean, as I long say, as you don't use that right. phrase, like, I mean, I don't see, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but
0: yeah, it'd be in, it'd it be was, interesting for somebody to explain that. i would love to kind of keep an eye out on that and see how that lawsuit goes. Or I bet you, I bet you, it's one of those things that probably just gets settled for a a lump sum
1: outside of court. I imagine. Oh, I'm um, sure. I mean, Netflix has a lot of money, but. But yeah, it was a, uh, it was a fun little story. It was. Um, yeah, I thought this was fun. I want, I wanted a, a happy ending and a not happy ending. So.
0: Yeah, I you know I kind of wish you know I kind of wish I would have killed them. In retrospect, what? I wish one the of them. Yeah, I wish somebody would have died.
1: Well, then you would have to have come up with a reason why they should have died. Yeah, but, I mean, they were in an abandoned building. I mean, like, you know, shit falls or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but the, why Why would the – oh, well okay. I was thinking maybe the ghost would kill them or something. Well,
0: maybe the ghost scared them and then they ran into the, uh, something that the uh, caused the thing to collapse. And then The the ghost is just kind of like, oh, shit, and, like whistles as she goes away sweeping.
1: <laughs> 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 uh, that could have worked, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That's fun. But yeah. at the same time I was thinking about this after like we might see Sarah and Natalie again. I think that might be like a fun little thing to just like do another adventure have or them something get into like that. Or whatever. Yeah, do something. Get into some shenanigans. Some shenanigans.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean they're still alive, so you can Yeah. Yeah. Have and them then and we I mean, still have the
0: ghost too. Maybe they become friends with the ghost and they start like uh setting up traps for their friends to get scared and shit. I don't know. Well, there you go. Oh, all right. Well, I think that might bring us to the end of this month's episode. What do you think? I think so. All it was right. A long one. Yeah, it was. Um, but that's all right. It was fun, and we kind of got like pseudo two stories from each of us. So it's like bonus month, you know. Yeah. Kids starting the year off with a bang. Continuing the year with a bang. This is February's episode. We're just, is, we're just not this even going to say February. that. That's so fucking stupid. Also, <laughs> I would like to apologize to everybody because on episode four, I actually called it episode five. Didn't realize it until I actually like put it out and listened to That's it in my true. podcast player, and I didn't feel like going back to record it. So, you know, whatever. Humans are imperfect. So, you know what? Can we talk about? Well, why don't we talk about next month's prompt real quick before we? we yeah, go through we're, all the,
1: we're we're the cheating a little bit because um, I have a. I I think I talked about it last time I have a novel coming out this spring um targeting early April um so my thought was let's see if I can sort of introduce the world of this this new series um in a in a story so we picked our own prompt for for March woo um it's called Under the Influence I'm excited is, about is the it
0: prompt. and what I'm excited about is like you already have this world right and you, so you like you have the world and you came up with the prompt so that it fits into your world. And then it's just like, I want to see like what mine is and how it, if like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's interesting because it's like, I'm excited. Yeah. I really yeah, have the, no idea the, what the, I'm the, doing yet.
1: The prompt actually, um, it, it really wasn't so much it fit into the world is just almost fit into the idea that I had for the story. Cause I, I struggled with wanting to, um, obviously kind of, Wet the reader's appetite a little bit and kind sure. of get get generate some interest without spoiling the concept of the novel because it's a like I said the start of a new series and it's um it's sort of an alternate reality, so to speak. and so i I, I don't want to like tip my hand too much there because I, I want sure. the the novel to stand on its own. but I think I found a deft way to do it where. I can kind of give you a brief glimpse of, of, of what's to come without spoiling it. So
0: I'm, I'm pretty so, happy with, with what I've got. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I kind of think I know at least the, the general direction I want to take it, but it's very, very undeveloped as of right now. So Well, you got plenty of time. Yep. So let's see. If you want to, um, in the future, suggest prompts for us when we don't cheat and pick the prompts for ourselves, you can go join the Facebook group, which you should do anyways, because you can come tell me how stupid I am for not liking Old Man in the Sea or whatever you want to do. And to do that, you're going to go to facebook.com slash groups slash pod. On Twitter, we're at pod, And um, you can also hit the contact page on the website. Um, just put prompt in the subject and we'll make sure that it gets out to everybody in one of the polls that we'll put on Facebook eventually. Uh, Ian, what is the best place for people to get uh, info about you? com. All right. And for me, that would be com or at MattSugaric on Twitter. Um, come grab a follow. And then, you know, if you grab like hashtag writing prompts, hashtag AM writing, and hashtag write sprint, uh, we're going to be all over. The, like, I'm going to be all over the place trying to, to do at least a couple of those sprints a week. Uh, whether or not it's what I'm writing, it could even be development. But, like, I mean, I'm going to try to do a couple of those a week. Um, and I'm going to try to give a few hours' notice, so if anybody wants to write along with me, um, we can do that. Uh, episode 6 is going to drop on March 4th. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts so we can help get the word out. We'll talk to you again uh, March when the prompt, again, is under the influence. All right.
1: See ya. Thanks for
0: listening. Later.